Welcome to the Scientific Method. We are Pacific Northwest University of Health Sciences foray into the world of intellectually entertaining dialogue. From healthcare to pop culture, controversial conversations to advancements in scientific technology and more, we provide expert insight on science and society. We are an exercise in overcoming the noise and discovering the truth. So, welcome back to the Scientific Method. Hopefully, Welcome Back works here. Hopefully, you've listened to episode one. Uh, if you haven't, I highly recommend it. Go check it out. Um, it was a really enjoyable conversation, and hopefully, we have another one for you here today. Uh, for those who didn't listen to episode one, I'm Paul Bobleski. I am the marketing coordinator here at Pacific Northwest University. And I am Cassidy Brown, and I am the other marketing coordinator here at Pacific Northwest University. So today's episode, we tackled a pretty controversial topic. A lot of people were telling us that maybe we shouldn't talk about this one, but... But we don't let them scare us. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the truth is, it's, it's far too important of a conversation to not have. And if you have an expert that's capable of providing some insight on it, to miss that opportunity feels like a tremendous waste. Um, Thankfully, we did have an expert, and the topic that we are hinting at here is the ever-controversial, drumroll please, <laughs> vaccines. So vaccines in America, uh, anti-vaccine crowds and the ideas of vaccines causing all sorts of diseases or the truth of vaccines preventing all sorts of diseases mm -hmm. and the balance between that. It's so hard to find any sort of facts about it online because both sides of course, have benefits to their side when they come right. from their side of the argument. Um, so when you type in vaccines on Google or the truth about vaccines, odds are you're not really going to get the truth about vaccines. You're going to get the most extreme side of one side of that argument. Yeah. You're going to get somebody's opinion that they wrote an article and now this is what law is. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not going to be necessarily an unbiased argument. Which is impossible to really deal with when you're a parent because you're going to face that decision. There's, mm -hmm. there's not any way that you're going to avoid facing the decision of whether or not you're going to vaccinate your child. So to not have this conversation seems like a huge injustice to the whole idea of this show. Right. Uh, today we brought on Dr. Melissa Lemp. So Melissa Lemp is the chief and assistant professor of pediatrics here at PNWU and she has over 20 years of experience in pediatrics, and she has real-world experience with this topic that so many people discuss and talk about but don't really have experience with. They don't see the benefits or the harmful side effects of either side of their argument. Thankfully, she does, and she beautifully illustrates all of these really complex details, not only about what vaccines are intended to prevent and the benefits of vaccines, but the concerns that parents have when they bring their children into her practice and the fact that some of her patients aren't even vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that that conversation that we've had with her will be able to create a divide between these arguments and divides not the word I'm looking for here. Yeah, create a bridge. I don't know. <laughs> so the, we hope that this separates everyone more <laughs> and that everyone yells at each other more 
<laughs> the, the problem with arguments like this, <laughs> it seems people, uh, they treat anybody with a differing opinion like an enemy. So they take one side of the fence, and the people on the opposite side of that fence are enemies of them. And that's not the case in the discussion where you have to make a decision. You have to decide whether or not you're going to vaccinate your child, and you should be educated as to why you're going to vaccinate your child. The idea of being anti-vax isn't really a bad thing to be because if you're putting something into the body of the person that you care about the most in the world, you should know all the facts about that. I agree, and I think that it's... you know, it's not necessarily, I mean, what we need to remember is that these are all parents who ultimately want the same thing for their children. They all want their kids to be safe and they want them to be healthy. And I don't think that any person who is for the anti-vaccination movement is, oh, well, I just really want my kid to get measles or, you know, (laughs) I, I really feel passionately about polio and I want everyone to have it. Like, I don't think that anybody's coming from that viewpoint. It's, people want what's best for their kid and there's been a lot of miscommunication in that and what the facts actually are Um, so I think we're just going to try to provide a little bit of clarity to that on like what is it that you can believe that's on the internet because the internet's a very big place full of lots of things that aren't true and so what is true and what is not true so thankfully we have Dr. Lemp here um, who is able to provide some of that truth where necessarily Google search would not provide that Right. Um, Again, she was, in my opinion, very factual about everything that she spoke of. Mm -hmm. She doesn't really present much opinion here, which is hard to find. Yeah, definitely. And she, I mean, again, she said that she mostly focuses on the relationship she has with her patients. So she's never going to force her opinion on somebody that comes into her doctor's office. Um, She, and I think she took that approach in our conversation today where it's mostly these are the things that the facts that she has and but she wasn't forceful and trying to push well you're a big dumb if you can't (laughs) if you don't vaccinate your kid or bring them in to be vaccinated um so i think it's a pretty unbiased approach yeah her approach seems to be the exact same approach that we're hoping to accomplish with this podcast which is to not come from one side or the other and to not name Mm -hmm. call and look down on people but instead to have a discussion and a dialogue and to understand why people think the the way that they do and to make sure that their thoughts and opinions are based somewhere in truth Mm -hmm. and in an important conversation like this to not have the truth you're doing yourself a disservice and i believe that dr lemp really provides some truth to this whole conversation that people can really benefit from Mm -hmm. definitely when we were uh sort of planning it out here I looked at all sorts of research and all sorts of different articles, and most of them were very opinion-based, but those opinions are the opinions of the general public because the general public are the people who are doing these Google searches and finding these articles. Mm -hmm. So instead of coming at it from one side or the other, I tried to present all the arguments for and against vaccines and present them to somebody who has experience with those arguments. So the idea of vaccines causing something terrible like autism or the idea of the vaccines preventing something terrible like polio and the benefits and the cons and pros Mm -hmm. and each side of the fence again that usually doesn't have a balance in any of the conversations that you see today and if you feel like maybe we didn't approach it in a way that you would have or if we missed something um feel free to comment at us you know send us an email we have 
um, a way to get in contact with us on our website, which is um, blog.pnwu.edu. Um, feel free to send us a message and say, well, what about this? What about that? You didn't cover this at all because we'd be happy to have Dr. Limp back on the show um, and answer any questions that you may have. Yeah, the idea with this podcast is not to sway your opinion in any way, but right. it's to provide evidence and to provide some facts and educate you before you make a decision mm -hmm. on whatever it is that you're making a decision about before you jump into that argument at the dinner table it's good to have facts to support the argument that you're having no matter what you're talking about mm -hmm. so whether you're talking about as our last episode did gender in sports or this episode vaccines or possible future episodes about topics such as euthanasia or corporate funding in medicine you should have information that you can substantiate rather than just opinions that you can't really back up and mm -hmm. with something like vaccines that's more important than possibly any other conversation because again you're going to be faced with the reality if you have a child of do i vaccinate my child and why or why not mm -hmm. hopefully we answer that question effectively here today yeah. and we give you some information that you can form a well-educated decision on and ultimately we want to have a conversation we're not trying to argue we're not trying to you know, again, like like Paul said, we're not trying to prevent, you know, provide all of this stuff so that we can prove you wrong. Um, our, our goal is to have conversations about these kinds of topics so that, you know, we can open that in a calm and uh, civilized manner and not necessarily just stand and point and call each other names because we believe things that are different. These topics are way too important for name calling and way too important for opinions to get in the way of the truth. And mm -hmm. We hope that we get those opinions out of the way to discover the truth through the talks that we're having. So with that in mind and without further ado, here's our conversation with Dr. Lemp on vaccines in America. this topic because it's a really important one and we wanted to bring somebody on who has education in it so could you tell us a bit about your background and why you're qualified to speak on something like this well good morning thank you for asking me I am a, a board certified pediatrician have been in practice for over 22 years uh, both in st. Louis Missouri after my residency and in Yakima for the past 17 years I've worked uh, largely in community health care centers where I've served a variety of populations of patients. And um, my training included uh, it, uh, treating infants through adolescence through about age 21 years of age. So my expertise is early childhood development and prevention of, of disease and health, health maintenance. So you've been around a lot of these, the vaccine conversation, you've been around a lot of the things that people are talking about in this vaccine conversation firsthand. You've seen the experiences and you've heard from the people who have concerns, I'm sure. Yes, I do. And I think practicing in various parts of the country also has exposed me to different points of view mm. and the perspective of these vaccine-preventable diseases. Now, where have you practiced? What parts of the country have you practiced in? I went to medical school in Kansas City, Missouri, mm -hmm. went to Minnesota at the University of Minnesota and Mayo Clinic for my pediatrics residency. I was a health 
scholar, a health um, scholarship recipient, meaning that I served the public health service for five years in South St. Louis, where I worked with a very uh, uh, poor, uh, underserved population and uh, fulfilled my um, scholarship to pay off my med medical school loan, which was a phenomenal experience. Mm. Uh, at that time, my husband was going through his residency and is a radiologist. Having a medical marriage, we do uh, probably have more conversations about medicine than a lot of couples. Uh, and um, we, we did train together, and then we came to Yakima in 2000. So for 17 years, we've both been working in the community. He in primary, and he in not, excuse me, I have been in primary care, obviously in pediatrics, with Central Washington Family Medicine Residency Program, and I jumped on board with Pacific Northwest when the school opened in 2008. And I've been having uh, a, a good combination of seeing patients and also teaching uh, medical school, medical students and residents together. So again, plenty of experience with this topic and plenty of firsthand experience, which not many people bring to the table when they have this conversation. So the conversation itself about vaccines and people being concerned about vaccines, if you look at it from a place where you have no sides on either one and there are preventable diseases, why is this a conversation? Why are people not vaccinating their children in 2017? I think people are afraid. People are learning too much false information. The internet brings all sorts of information that is often not accurate and certainly not written by physicians. There are websites written by parents who have actually had children with these devastating diseases who have actually died or, ha or are living with the consequences of diphtheria, of mumps, of chickenpox. We forget what these diseases are like. We do not live with these diseases right now, and because we don't see them, we don't understand why we have to hurt a child by giving them an injection for something that we don't really believe may not be a true disease. Right, because I think some of the arguments people have is, oh, well, why do we need to vaccinate our kid because this disease doesn't exist anymore? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, it doesn't exist because you vaccinate your children. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. What are some of the diseases that we're vaccinating for, for people who don't know? And some of those diseases have been completely eradicated and people don't have any relation to them. Something like polio. I know that I've never had the concern of getting polio. I've never known anybody <laughs> who's had polio. So it's not really something that's on my forefront. I don't think about being in an iron lung. I've never had a neighbor who has been. So what are some of the other diseases that we're vaccinating for to prevent? And what do those, what's the, the side effects or the causes of, not causes, but uh, the problems associated with those diseases that people don't really recognize or know about? Wait, the, it, it, the list is endless. There's many. Um, what we might consider more minor diseases, perhaps uh, ear infections or sinusitis, which we don't think of as life uh, as life altering. However, there's those are vaccines. There's many bacterial pre preventable diseases that vaccines are uh, helping prevent. That we're having more minor significant changes, such as less ear infections, which can lead to issues with speech difficulty. Um, and long-term problems with talking. And that seems so minor, but it is actually one of the smaller elements of what the vaccine is called H, influenza. Uh, we don't think of chickenpox as life-threatening. Um, we uh, often have generations of parents who would say, well, we had chickenpox parties, we wanted to get our kids exposed to as much chickenpox as possible and get it over with. Well, that's fine for the majority of individuals who have a healthy immune system that can fight off chickenpox, chicken which is varicella, 
lives in the system. It is what eventually will cause shingles. Uh, again, that can be a, a, a terribly painful disease, which the vaccine prevents in the long term. Chickenpox can cause terrible brain brain um, infections such as meningitis, can cause renal failure, and can be a life-altering experience. When I trained in the early 90s, uh, the, the chickenpox vaccine, for example, was not uh, present. And at that time, I can't tell you the number of kids who I had in the ICU who either died with, with uh, exposure to this um, disease or had life-altering long-term issues such as difficulty with uh, hearing, speaking, brain damage, seizures, et cetera. Now, these are something like the chicken pox is common enough where I think people understand it, but I think that they think of it as a rash, and that's understandable to think of it that way. When I think of the chicken pox, I think about it as being itchy, and but there's so much more to it than that. Um, I think that, in my opinion, one of the problems that comes up with all these concerns is – the rumors that are out there about what these vaccines can do to children and the, the harm that they can have seem so much worse than, say, a rash, which, again, isn't the only – that's not the full extent of something like chicken pox. But it's much more visual. It's much more uh, – you know somebody with autism. The odds are that you've seen the horrible effects of that. But when you see somebody with chicken pox, commonly you're thinking rash, you're thinking itchy. Um, do you think that that's part of the problem with people not wanting to vaccinate, that it's sort of a, a risk-reward sort of thing? Possibly. Again, um, not really understanding the full extent and getting wrong information. Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely. And, yeah, we think of a rash as just sort of uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, but, again, that's just uh, one of the many, many symptoms that uh, varicella can, can um, induce in the human body. Mm -hmm. We do. We, f we forget what measles and mumps and rubella – the MMR vaccine has done not only to protect from those devastating diseases, but but in general have um, heightened our immune system. That has been evidenced uh, to actually help with minor colds and upper respiratory tract infections um, and other diseases. To see the effect is to understand why we need to vaccinate. And when I educate my families, I try to talk about what the diseases do and why we need to vaccinate and why unfortunately an injection in our office does seem unpleasant and painful it is a lot less painful and pleasant than being in the icu in the hospital getting incredibly high risk medication to help prevent a devastating disease mm -hmm. i think that's again a lot where it stems from is the distance from these diseases the diseases that people aren't familiar with and the closeness to getting a shot for your child. And you can see that, that it's painful and you can see that they, they squirm and they're uncomfortable and it seems strange to put your child through something like that when you don't have relation to why you're doing it, when you don't understand that if you don't do this, this could potentially happen. So I think that that's a really important thing to highlight for people that they're getting a shot and it's uncomfortable and it's slightly painful, but it does, in theory anyway, prevent long-term pain and much worse pain than that little shot has so i think again that's a really important fact to highlight that people don't really recognize until they have a full understanding of it i agree 
and I never say the word S-H-O-T in my office, um, <laughs> you know, because the minute you say that, you got kids hiding behind the counter. Right. Uh, and all the medical students and my residents know that we say immunizations, we say vaccinations. Mm-hmm. We try to be upfront about it. It's sort of obviously the end of my well-child exam. We try to have kids comfortable, and if they're understanding of why we do the vaccine, I think sometimes you've got parents who are a little more nervous about the vaccine than, than the kids themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of the base of what most of the argument is, is parents are just afraid for their children. And it's not necessarily that they want to argue or I don't know. It's just it seems like it's more based out of a fear thing. Like they don't want something harmful to happen to their child. And I understand that. Yeah. Your child is the most important thing in your life. Right. And I support every parent in that way. That's why I do my job. I advocate for their children and I advocate for them being happy parents that are making the right decision. Mm-hmm. And so providing important, accurate information is very important. And since, you know, I, I was always handing out pamphlets and papers and information, now basically everybody just looks at the internet. Um, and so that's where I give out appropriate websites if you're mm-hmm. gonna look at stuff. Um, and, and I think that helps a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I need to work with parents. I am not against any parent. All parents have the, the benefit of, of taking care of their child and want to do the right thing. So I'm not going to alienate people. I have certainly families in my clinic who do not get vaccinated. I'm not mm. happy about it, but I'm not going to uh, disengage from treating their child and to treat other aspects of their life. Yeah. Now, the parents who aren't vaccinating their children, a lot of them, uh, when they argue it, or when somebody says, why aren't you vaccinating? They come back with the idea that it's a personal choice, that it's their choice whether or not to vaccinate their child, and if they're not comfortable with it, then who's to say that they should, or who's to say that it's mandatory, as some places have sort of instituted. But there's also questions that come along with that, and it's much further than a personal choice. Could you sort of talk about that and the idea of like a herd immunity and where that comes into play? Yeah, absolutely, because you're not only exposing healthy people to your sick child, but your sick child is a real risk factor for anyone who's immunocompromised meaning that a person who's uh, getting chemotherapy, who doesn't have the immune system to fight mumps, and if your child is experiencing the mumps infection and is exposed to somebody else, like um, one of my patients who actually got mumps during the whole Disneyland measles epidemic. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, My patient uh, was going through a bone marrow transplant and had basically no immune system. So Mm. uh, there's people who, who... who are not able to fight what we often think is somewhat of a normal infection. That also includes anybody with any any immunological disease, such as AIDS, HIV, other types of immune deficiencies. So you're really putting other people at risk. Elderly do not have the ability to fight infection. So the herd immunity is when a group of people collectively are protecting each other from a disease. Mm -hmm. So that means everybody needs to be immunized and you have the one outlier in a big group that can be causing extreme risk for everybody else in the community. Could you talk a bit about that Disneyland? I've heard uh, vaguely about it. Um, what was it that happened there? And I've heard about measles outbreaks all around the country, and it seems strange, again, when there's a disease that could be prevented. Um, what's going on with that? Yeah, well, gosh, the whole um, MMR vaccine that is uh, the first live vaccine introduced to children at age 12 months got the completely illegitimate association with autism. Mm -hmm. We don't know a lot about autism, and we do know that it is a communication disorder 
that hopefully is picked up well, well before 12 months of age. But since 12 months is when most children are starting to verbalize, that's where the association of a parent says, oh, my child is not verbalizing as they should and just got their MMR vaccine. Mm. And because this quack from Britain said if there's an association, right. unfortunately, many people jumped on the bandwagon. There are some s big celebrities. Unfortunately, that also made a big point. Mm -hmm. These are not physicians. These are not people who have taken care of, of a child with measles or understands the long-term effects. So it has been devastating. But uh, the, the measles epidemic that happened uh, in Disneyland in kind of at Christmas of 2014 were some immunized, uh, unimmunized children from California that clustered together. And then that spread the disease worldwide and people returned to Canada and other places outside of the country and the disease continued. Wow. It wasn't just measles though, there was a few cases of, of mumps mm -hmm. um, as well as some other diseases that came about. And um, as I said, my, my patient was there for uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation mm -hmm after a bone marrow transplant, mm -hmm. but had not received, after a bone marrow transplant, your immune system is completely wiped out. So you need to start from uh, square one with your whole set of vaccines. Mm -hmm. So for a 12 year old who has absolutely no record of a vaccine, they need to start from square one. When most babies have already had their vaccines and hopefully don't remember getting those shots. So uh, again, this was a person who was exposed, got mumps, uh, mumps leads to uh, long-term sterility issues, especially for adolescent boys. Mm. Uh, this young man may not be able to have children in his future. Um, and those are things we don't think about. Yeah. yeah. And, and how, how do you tell that to a parent who has been watching their kid suffer through leukemia, done, done all the right treatments, chemotherapy, radiation, and um, was vulnerable to a vaccine-preventable disease? Mm. Coming back to uh, the Disneyland story, California is a really interesting place to sort of s like put the microscope on a bit because I've read about some private schools, especially in California, where their vaccine rates are similar to places in sub-Saharan Africa. And I think a lot of it comes back to what you mentioned about the Internet and people getting a lot of their information from the Internet. And some of that information goes back to what you referenced with that doctor who released the study with the MMR vaccine relating to autism. Andrew Wakefield. Could you tell us a bit about that study or who he was or who he is now? Because I've heard that he still sort of spreads the message that he spread in that study, but it doesn't seem like that message really held up very long because we're not calling him Dr. Wakefield anymore. Well, I think he got his medical license revoked yeah. is what I've heard because apparently he was paid off or something to write an article. Um, so in 2011, they stripped him of his medical license. And was but he actually a physician? He, they say he was a doctor. I don't know if he was like a practicing physician. I think he physician, might have been a psychologist. I'm okay. not sure he was a physician. Like an actual medically trained yeah. DL or MD. From the details mm -hmm. that I know yeah. on it too, his study was of 12 children. So if you're doing a medical study, I don't think 12 is really a number that's going to give you an accurate representation of what the overall effects are, especially of something like a vaccine and something so complex like autism. Yeah. 12 children isn't going to give you... Uh, accurate representation of what that vaccine does to say 1200 children or 12,000 or a country worth of children or a state like California with a private school where the kids aren't getting vaccinated now because of his words. Um, and the, the private schools have less um, domain in terms of getting vaccines. There's, there's much more independent thinkers, parents mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. take kids to private schools and or homeschool aren't 
happy with the, the public system. That's kind of the reason. And public schools and vaccines all kind of go together. Mm-hmm. So you you're, have a little bit of a self-selection of parents at private schools mm-hmm. who are more prone to make these decisions. Yeah, And it, it's all, all socioeconomic levels that don't believe in vaccines. Extremely educated and extremely uneducated, just like the general population. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was that public schools, I think it's isn't it like 48 out of the 50 pub school or states that have public schools require uh, vaccinations in order to have their uh, their kids attend the yeah. school? So private schools is kind of like a way out, I guess, it is of that. Um, but I mean, there are some exemptions that exist from what I understand, where if you have like a religious reason or something like that, I'm not really sure what the extent of that is or how they go about approving. Do you know? Yes, uh, and I actually have a patient fill out a document um, stating their their reason for exemption. Okay. Often it is religious, um, family um, preference. I make sure that it's kind of thumbtacked to the front of the patient's chart mm-hmm. because this is a kiddo who's not immunized, who is at risk of bringing disease into our office. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I have many sick children in my office, so they're all susceptible. And I make sure that that is kind of in the front and we have to be careful if this family needs to come in. And sometimes we can't let them come through the lobby, kind of be exposed to other people in the clinic. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it is very risky for those children. But exemptions, the, the American County Pediatrics does have a document. I make sure parents read through the document and what the risks they're putting their mm-hmm. children through and they have to sign it. What do you think about, because um, there are several people who have suggested making it a mandatory law that everybody has to receive a vaccine. And, of course, some people freak out and think, well, what about that removes my freedom? I should have the freedom to choose whether or not I'm going to vaccinate my child. So what do you think about that? Is that? I would love that to be yes. law, personally. <laughs> I, I would. Um, I think in California it is law. Okay. At least for the public schools. Mm-hmm. It's, it's turned into law and still yeah. working. Yes. And Yakima, in general, actually has a very high vaccination rate. Oh, good. We have a very good vaccination rate. I think the downside in uh, Washington with uh, immunizations is more on the western Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. side of the state. And some of the San Juan Islands, very interestingly, have uh, the kiddos not vaccinated. So that's going to be sort of an interesting dilemma Mm -hmm. in the future. Yeah, it's strange. And it's strange to think about, of course, when you hear the idea of anything being mandatory, and especially something as serious as putting a foreign agent inside of your child who's the most important thing in the world to you. It seems really extreme, but there are a lot of things that are mandatory, especially going to school. And I don't know about a national law, but I know that with public schools, the exemptions seem like a tricky place to play with those ideas because schools can make uniforms mandatory and they can make bringing certain items mandatory and behaving a certain way mandatory, but the idea of a vaccination being mandatory is a lot more extreme and puts people a lot more on edge than those other ideas do. Yeah. Yes, I, I, I understand that. I completely agree. Again, it just it's education is, is key and to understand what risk you're putting your child at. Mm-hmm. And I wish it could be mandatory, but of course that's not how the United States works. Mm-hmm. And there are rules. And if people understood what the vaccines are actually doing appropriately, I would imagine most people would would work with it. Mm. One argument that I've heard or one point that I've heard brought up by parents or people who don't believe in the vaccines is that, and again, we've sort of talked about this, but the diseases that the vaccines are intended to prevent for the most part are 
looked at as minor diseases and people look at it in the sense of if I feed my child well and I give them organic food and I take care of them, then they'll be strong enough to fight these diseases should they come up. What's the misinformation there and what are people not understanding about that? Nutrition and disease are two separate entities completely sure it's important to eat well and to have a healthy immune system nutritionally, but that, that isn't going to help you fight disease in mm-hmm. any capacity. And to be exposed to something, um, I know we talked how, for example, polio we feel is eradicated, at least in the United States, mm-hmm. but it isn't eradicated around the world. And w- our world is a much more mobile place. Mm-hmm. People are traveling everywhere and exposed to diseases in all other countries. And that's where we get hurt is when people come back and actually spread disease here. Mm-hmm. Because of our mobility, I think even more reason for us to protect ourselves and vaccinate. Yeah, definitely. Now, one point that I keep seeing brought up, and it's a really strong point that sort of unites both sides, is that any medical intervention comes along with some risks. If you have surgery, there's risks associated with the surgery, and there's really nothing that you can think of in the medical community that doesn't have a risk involved with it. If you take over-the-counter medications, there are side effects on the bottle of, something as simple as Tylenol can have an extreme risk. So with vaccines, there's truth to the idea that there are side effects and risks to them. And of course, there's a reason for giving those vaccines. Could you talk a bit about some of those side effects that are scientifically backed to say that, yes, this vaccine may cause this? Vaccines are so much safer than they used to be. I used to have to counsel parents about the possible small risk of a seizure Mm. because of a super high fever. And that type of risk factor. Nowadays, we expect a little fever because we are bumping the immune system, and I prepare parents for that, and we do. We discuss um, antipyretic medication to help prevent possible fever, although a fever is not dangerous per se, and and it is the body's immune system protecting itself, and we are boosting the immune system. Um, I do counsel parents there might be a little bit of soreness at the injection site, we do, con- we do identify which vaccine goes in what injection site. So in babies, we use their legs and we'll often po- po- possibly to shoot two vaccines in one leg and one in the other, and we document which is which. So if there was a reaction later, um, mm-hmm. perhaps from the H flu vaccine, then we will know where that was. Mm-hmm. And we can monitor that particular vaccine down the road. Um, and perhaps we could prevent uh, a reaction by uh, sometimes we prevent uh, swelling with a little bit of Tylenol ahead of time to help prevent a reaction if we know that's going to happen. We discuss fever. We discuss when a fever is dangerous and when a child should be evaluated, such as 105 degrees, a pretty high fever. There is very, very few contraindications to actually give a vaccine. Mm-hmm. And one would be an extreme fever. But children that come in who have a little bit of a cold, maybe have an ear infection, maybe a different type of rash, of the time, children should still get their vaccines, and there's very few contraindications. Why? Mm. One thing that, another thing, there's so many arguments to this, and there's so many points that everybody seems to be able to bring up. So if you say, well, this is the fact, they say, well, what about this? And one thing that people talk about is the toxicity levels of the vaccines, and you mentioned that they're much safer today. Could you talk about that? And people say that there's mercury in vaccines yeah, and aluminum formaldehyde and the preservatives right mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah and and that that is not true that's also been completely debunked those are not a factor and not a risk factor um, used as preservatives anymore so we could um potentially vaccines are 
touching your, the immunity that you mount about one to one millionth of what you could actually develop. It's such a small part, such a small injection that you really are not, the body can handle many, many, many more injections. And frankly, to give babies all their injections on time at the same time is much more appropriate than some of the um, schedules where parents have wanted to sort of stretch out the vaccines a little bit. Yeah. We specifically give vaccines at certain ages because we know the immune system can handle it. Mm -hmm. So the typical first set of vaccines can be given anywhere between six and eight weeks. And there's a reason why we actually have a very structured schedule. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, four months, six months, et cetera. It's also kinder to give babies their vaccines before they're old enough to really remember. And it's the four-year-old who really is cognizant that they're gonna be getting a few vaccines and is, is a lot more afraid. But by then they've already received the majority of their vaccines and are doing well. Mm. You're really good at not calling them shots. You're I right don't call that. them shots. Yeah, <laughs> shots even makes me squirm a little bit. So. Yeah, thanks for Very saying that. It yeah. makes everybody squirm. And once in a while I'll get mm -hmm. a parent who will tell their patient who's misbehaving that the, the doctor will give you a shot to punish you for not behaving. Oh my yeah, gosh. that really gets to me. And yeah. yeah, so that again, that's that misconception that the shot is the, the punishment for a child who therefore doesn't really want to come back and come to the doctor anymore. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, and if that was <laughs> my threat, yeah. I mean, I don't really care for shots all that much, but it's not that bad. It isn't. And I think I agree with you. Having it before your child can actually remember, I think is a lot kinder in the long run. Like not only is it the smarter thing to do because it's the appropriate time to give the vaccines, but I would much rather have my kid not even have any memory at all. Mm -mm. Um, I know when I was a baby, I had an allergic reaction to the MMR vaccine. Um, and apparently it was pretty serious and I ended up going to the hospital and like all this stuff, but my mom still vaccinated me afterwards and I have no memory of any of it and I'm fine. <laughs> and so I think like just having, I mean, sometimes things happen like that, but it's not a reason to not vaccinate your child. And I think it's also, um, again, just goes back to say, I think it's better to do it before they have any memory and have like that fear. Cause I think for me, I would have probably never go to the doctor again you know if I had that memory of being four years old and having to go to the hospital and have a nurse come to my house every day and like all this different stuff I think um it would have definitely scared me away from ever receiving medical attention which is dangerous because I mean in the future you need to be able to be comfortable with your doctor yeah. you know absolutely um, yeah well and exactly I want to hear your fears I want right. I want to hear well why are you afraid you have a personal story I mm -hmm. want to hear your story I want to hear how your mom handled it and also that was, what, 20, 25 years ago? Right. You know, things have changed a lot. Mm -hmm. Yes. Vaccines have been revolutionized in terms of how safe and effective they've become. Yes. Really amazing. But I want to hear that because I think what the biggest complaint about seeing your physician is they don't listen. Mm -hmm. I think that's what most people will say is that my doctor didn't listen to me. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to hear why you're hesitant and what your background was. And, and now that you almost feel stronger about what you would do for your own child. Mm -hmm. So suddenly a parent, to be an advocate for your child, is a scary position. And you need, you need an ally. Yeah. You don't need yeah. an enemy. Definitely. And making those decisions should be a concentrated group effort. Mm -hmm. One part of the group that seems to uh, be driving these scare tax tactics a bit, um, when I was researching this, any news story that you see on any vaccine 
the B-roll footage that they show is uh, a kid screaming or squirming or crying. or, And it's really harsh to see. But another thing that I saw in the research was when these vaccines started really getting popularity when the polio vaccine came out in the 1950s. And all the news footage was of parents with their children literally lining up outside these doctor's offices. And they showed the kids smiling and really happy. And it just seemed like a whole different world. Why do you think that was? And was it because of the connection to that disease and the idea that getting rid of it was a huge benefit to these communities? Absolutely. I, I, I love how you compare. It wasn't that long ago mm-hmm. that our own parents, or my parents, remember living with polio. Mm-hmm. Closing down public swimming pools and, and any type of uh, public facility because somebody had polio was devastating. And friend, ki- their friends were crippled and not able to walk. And, and there's, there's people today who still have the, the effects from polio. I agree. I think we've been just giving vaccines such a negative connotation. And instead of being excited and, and privileged and happy to prevent um, a, a one of the newer diseases that we can vaccinate now, <clears throat> for example, cervical cancer. Mm-hmm. The HPV, vac- HPV vaccine, human papillomavirus, is a vaccine we like to introduce early in adolescence before kids go through puberty. But there's the association that this is sexually transmitted and you're kind of giving my child permission to have sex and I don't want to think about my 11-year-old having sex. And I kind of, I was like, back up, back up. This is really not what we're doing. Right. But cervical cancer is an effect down the road that causes infertility it causes women not to be able to have a baby but it's really hard to think about that when you have an 11 year old mm-hmm. so we have already seen amazing changes in what um, the American College of Ob- uh, Obstetricians and Gynecologists in terms of a decreased number of pap smears and a decreased risk of obtaining cervical cancer because of this relatively new vaccine and this is a vaccine where I ha- probably spend most of my time convincing parents especially boys and girls, that mm-hmm. th- they should get this vaccine, um, that probably many medical students in their mid to late 20s did not necessarily get. Mm-hmm. And it just shows you what a newer vaccine that is. Yeah. Um, one, another argument. Again, you can find an argument. I could probably, this, this episode could be hours and hours long. If you started a chat room, we could probably have an argument all day about it. Yeah. But another one that <laughs> seems like it, makes sense and one of the more understandable ones where people get really defensive about it is the idea of these vaccines are making people money in the long run there's somebody who's creating these or who's doing the research to make these uh available to the public but they're not doing it for free and the pharmaceutical companies are making a lot of money so what would you say to somebody who says the pharmaceutical uh, the pharmaceutical company who's created this vaccine spent possibly billions to manufacture it and they're not going to tell you that it's dangerous because they would lose money that's not good business and at the end of the day they're a business what would you say to somebody who says something like that well there's lots of loopholes that you need to get through before you actually give an injection to a child including the uh, federal drug agency the vaccine safety awareness uh, the center for disease cdc um, and someone doesn't just uh, a pharmaceutical company doesn't just make a shot and then market it it has to be approved and gone over. Children are our most valued commodity. We do not give anything to a child until it has been tested and utilized and gone through every, se- every type of research um, testing site available. And there's multiple agencies that need to approve vaccines. Mm-hmm. I also have the benefit of majority of 
Medicaid patients where we actually get what we call vaccines for children. And they're, they're not marketed. These are, these are va as basic vaccines that are safe and already um, proven to be okay that we get through the government. So these are not coming from pharmaceutical companies, at mm -hmm. least for children. I think there might be a different story for adults, but children are protected, really protected. And uh, remember, a lot of these vaccines have already been in other countries. The varicella vaccine had been in France for a good 20 years before we even looked at it. Mm -hmm. So we're not always the first country to introduce a vaccine. Sometimes we forget that too. With all these arguments of mine, all the places that people are coming from, what are some of the arguments that you've heard or some of the concerns from parents that have spoken to you about, I don't want to get my child this shot because, I shouldn't use the word shot, I don't want to get my child this vaccine, don't want to scare any kids listening, <laughs> <laughs> because what are their reasons and how do you speak to them about those reasons? Oh my goodness, if, if you are traveling to a site that is epidemic for yellow fever, it, it's, you're just putting yourself at extreme risk. Mm -hmm. um, by not getting the vaccine. So hopefully most international travelers are pretty savvy and get the vaccines that are endemic to that particular region. But there's obviously people who aren't. And so bring back yellow fe fever and dengue fever and things we don't think about here in the United States. Um, so we're just a much more global population. Everybody needs to know what is uh, a risk factor for where they're traveling mm -hmm. and to prevent getting sick by getting the vaccine. It's, if you're not, you're just putting yourself at high risk. And I'm not sure what lawfully is required of traveling in certain countries. Mm. Certain countries require you get vaccines in terms of just obtaining a visa in the first place. The parents who come into your practice, you've said some of them don't have children who are vaccinated there. Anti-vaccine, I don't really like that term, but what are their, have you talked to them about that? And what are their reasons for not vaccinating their children? Wide range, um, a pr risk of concerns about preservatives, um, mm -hmm. preserv religious concerns, uh, uh, types of religions uh, like Jehovah's Witnesses uh, who don't believe in injection and, and transfusions. And so there's multiple. I, again, I like to know why. I try to f look at the whole picture and see what we can work with. Yeah. Um, and some are on a soapbox. Um, I recently had a family who moved over from the west side, and she was very proud that she was an anti-vaxxer, uh, single mom, four kids, did not want to vaccinate any of her kids because of all the stories that we have brought in. And yeah. I say story because it's not scientific evidence. And she was completely unapproachable and was, would not listen to me. And mm -hmm. she just was very proud. She was an anti-vaxxer. She has lots of friends who are anti-vaxxers. That's just what she does. And there's no amount of educating I could do to change your mind. Yeah. It seems it seems like that comes up in almost every argument is people sort of form this uh, this like group bias. Mm -hmm. Sort of it's mm -hmm. a group comfort thing mm -hmm. where we know that this does something bad to us and most of the people don't. And it sort of gives them a strength and I think there's strength in the community idea that how do you talk to people? Can you have a dialogue or a discussion with people who aren't going to listen to the ideas that the facts, the supposed facts that they're bringing up aren't actually scientific facts and the vaccines that you're prescribing their children aren't to make money and they're not for all these conspiratorial theories that they have, but they're to prevent these horrible illnesses that people don't recognize are real. Yeah, and uh, there have been studies actually that have stated that sometimes the more you try to convince some of the very opinionated 
uh, fractions with this opinion, it actually makes it worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, frankly, you're actually kind of adding more fuel to their kind of conspiracy theory. Yeah. yeah, I've read something called the backfire effect, where, especially in this case, the more you tell somebody that it's not true what you're saying and all the facts that you're bringing up aren't true, the more they start to form this conspiratorial idea that this person's getting paid by some big company and they're another part of this system that's trying to get into whatever it is that I'm doing with my life and trying to harm me in some way. I imagine that as a pediatrician, that must be so hard to deal with. It's really hard. And they do that. The, the claws kind of just tighten as you, as you, the more you discuss it. Mm. When I back up a little bit and I, again, want to just treat the child for whatever I can take care of, um, I, I, tr- I back off as well. I, again, I don't want to alienate these parents because things change, and they may change their mind. I've actually had parents who have been so stubborn about some of these opinions who've actually over time changed their mind, mm-hmm. and I've worked with them. And it takes a relationship. It takes a long time mm-hmm. to trust, um, and so I th- that, that has helped. And sometimes parents just kind of pick and choose some, and they have their opinions about why some vaccines are okay and some aren't. Mm-hmm. I need to work with that as well. Yeah. Again, I agree. I don't think any parent wants to hurt their child. They're right. not withholding vaccines to punish their child. Right. They're just afraid. They're, yeah, and I think that's really the, the basis of most of the argument is fear. But um, I kind of understand what you're saying, too, where it's like, well, how much evidence do we need for it to be proof that this is actually not a harmful thing for your child, that they just kind of get stuck in their corner of, you know, this is, no, this is what I believe, this is what I believe. And then I think it becomes more of a pride thing, too, in that, in that sense, where it's like, well, I don't want to be wrong, so this is what I'm sticking to. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I, mean, I feel like we should say we're not sponsored by Big Pharma, whatever. <laughs> but we are not. We're not. I, <laughs> Nobody's paying yeah. us right now. <laughs> if there's anybody out there who's giving money to, uh, I mean, yeah. give me a call. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Let, let us know. We haven't received anything yet, though. Yeah. <laughs> I think that it becomes an argument though instead of a discussion or a dialogue and people who are on either side of it instead of seeing another person as somebody with a differing opinion or a set of facts that they don't have yet they see them as the enemy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that happens with so many conversations nowadays but something like this is so dangerous to see if you see a doctor as an enemy right then in the future that just destroys your relationship with them so i think i like what you said like it's about even though you have the really stubborn parents it's about building a relationship over time because they're still going to need your help with other things yeah and remember who your patient is yeah and yeah and that's something i try to really hone in with the medical students you know stop for a second listen to what they have to say get their story just even hearing you because i have had other parents who apparently they had a bad reaction and their mom told them not to vaccinate their kids. And mm-hmm. instead of kind of realizing this is a new century or a new decade, right. mm-hmm. things have changed a lot. It's been 25 years. It's been 25 <laughs> years. So. And when you become a parent, you're not that child anymore. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you need to make that new decision. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's always a pediatrician's nightmare when, when parents come in the room and grandparents are in the room. Because mm. everything has changed over the years and how we raise children. Right. And it's really hard to convince someone who's raised eight kids, who's a phenomenal phenomenal parent and probably now a grandparent that yes your child does need to be in a car seat mm-hmm. i know they didn't have car seats before but now we do in fact we encourage children to be in car seats until their 14th birthday yeah and that changes all the time so you know, th- there's controversies in how we parent our children mm-hmm. all over and that's just in our neck of the woods 
you can imagine when to expand um, op- opinions about parenting, co-sleeping, cribs, yeah, high chairs. It goes on and on. Mm-hmm. When we started thinking about this episode and planning it, one thing that I thought about was the idea of this so-called anti-vax crowd. If they were somehow not correct, but if they somehow had the majority and the idea of not having vaccinations to prevent these diseases became a, a pretty typical idea with most people, the majority of them doing it rather than a small minority of people. What would happen? What would society be like if all these vaccines or the majority of the vaccines that people are afraid of went away? How would, how would that affect us? Devastating. It, and it probably wouldn't be overnight, but it, it would quickly get. And again, it's it's the most at risk people with immune systems, the elderly, mm-hmm. um, uh, people who are fighting other types of diseases. It would be devastating. Um, and uh, as you mentioned, a typical varicella, chickenpox, rash is just the surface of what varicella can do to human beings. I don't even want to think about what the potential could be. But if every disease was reintroduced and hepatitis B kills infants, which is why we give that vaccine the first 24 hours of life, Mm -hmm. we will have death and destruction and long-term disabilities. Which is, I mean, I think you brought it up earlier too, like because of the way the world is today, people can travel on an airplane Mm -hmm. and get places so quickly that especially Mm -hmm. now if people started, it started becoming the majority that people weren't vaccinating, I think diseases would spread quickly because it's, you know, you have people traveling all over the place, and one day you're in Washington, and the next day you're in Russia. Russia, yeah. And like, yeah. you know, so there's there's all this potential for picking up diseases and spreading mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. way quicker than you could like 50 years ago, even. Or yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And there's so many vaccines um, to even count because again, not only do we vaccinate children, but older folk, mm-hmm. and we don't want to lose that population uh, of of older folks who die with pneumonia epidemics from not pneumonia the flu influenza is what we call kind of a bad cold just the flu Mm -hmm. well we have epidemics of people dying of the flu epidemics of people dying with polio and the iron lung Mm -hmm. and i really really wish people could just pay attention and look at the history there's a reason why we've modernized why we've moved on Mm -hmm. in our societies because we're smarter Mm -hmm. because we know a lot more than we did before one last thing. So you mentioned the car seat thing, and I just wanted to go back to that real quick because I've heard, uh, again, that argument of, well, it's an infringement on my freedom, and that's why people don't choose to vaccinate. And I think that it's a really good analogy of, okay, well, you're also required to have car seats right. for your kid, that's or you're required to follow the speed limit and all of that because it is, it's helping your child, but also speed limits, for example, are helping the rest of the population as well. So I don't know if you would consider that an infringement on your freedom, but it is something that like, if your freedom is actually harming the freedom of another person, is it really something that's your freedom? I don't know. Like, I think that's a question that people should consider. Like you choosing not to vaccinate your child could potentially kill somebody else's child. And is that a freedom that you feel like you need to have, you know, because yeah. you're then infringing on their their right to have their kid be healthy. That's so a, that's a really good point. Yeah, and to to be a member of society—that's what we do as human beings. Mm-hmm. We we work together and to make a better society, not to hurt other people. 
I like that car seat analogy. I never really thought about it. That is the law. Right. You get pulled over and you're four months old. It's not in a car seat. Um, you get serious trouble. Right. I wish this, again, could be the law, but that's, again, the beauty of our country is, is some things are not. One law I do love is smoking, mm-hmm. the fact that we do not have smokers in public places because we knew that was causing um, damage to other people in the, in right. the community. So right there in that, that's smoking has changed restaurants, mm-hmm. uh, most social gatherings. People forget about that. And vaccine has a, uh, giving vaccines is a little bit of a similar connotation. Mm-hmm. You're preventing not only your own issue, your own um, devastating effects from these diseases, but preventing others around you. Yeah, smoking is a perfect example that too. Is. Because when you smoke on your own, you could go smoke in the middle of a field, and that's a personal choice. But when you bring it into a public gathering, it loses the idea of being a personal choice, and you have a social responsibility, sort mm-hmm. of, to yeah. to not harm other people. And I think that by not vaccinating your child, you're sort of working against that social responsibility. And in a strange way, you're almost hoping that the people who are on the opposite side of you are helping you out a bit. Because if they weren't vaccinating their children and they were on the same side of the argument, odds are your child may very well come down with one of these diseases that thankfully they vaccinated for. Right. Well, if you're, I mean, you said if you go smoke out in the middle of a field somewhere. So if you don't vaccinate your kid and you live up in the mountains by yourself and never go con- make contact <laughs> with anybody else, mm-hmm. then like, okay, there's your freedom. You can do that. You but if that. you're, <laughs> but if you're in contact with anybody else, really, I mean, it goes again. If you're smoking in a restaurant full of people or something, then you are affecting the rest of the population. You're being picked out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There oh. is a word. Why? Why we are a society, mm-hmm. and, and why we have medical interventions and we have come a long ways and vaccines have probably been the most influential advent of modern medicine than anything else. We say medicine changes quickly. It does to some extent and it also doesn't to a lot of extent, but vaccines have changed very quickly. Every year, a new recommendation is updated. Centers for Disease Control, again, there's multiple agencies. Um, Schedules are constantly being created and altered and Mm -hmm. updated. And board-certified physicians, practicing family practice, pediatrics, uh, all providers are cognizant of the current recommendations. All right. I think we've covered it all. That's it. Thanks for joining us today. It's been been delightful. (laughs) Really nice to have a good conversation Mm -hmm. about a very important topic. Yeah, I think that it... Again, coming back to that idea of not having this conversation because of the possible uh, risks involved with offending somebody or presenting something as fact. This is a conversation that has to be had because if you're a parent, you don't have a choice but to confront this idea of do I vaccinate my child or do I not vaccinate my child? And if you don't have facts to back up your decision, which is a major decision really, then you're doing a lot of harm to the person that you care most about in the world, and nobody wants to do that. So I think having an expert on like you who's able to provide some insight into exactly why this is a discussion and why it really shouldn't be as controversial as it is helps to give some some fact to a place that doesn't have much fact to offer in a lot of sense. Not at all. And, and hearing people out, t- trying to understand where their perspective is coming from. Hopefully, we'll, we'll open up some of the doors for 
the, the actual facts and the truth about vaccination. Thanks again for tuning into The Scientific Method. To be the first to hear our upcoming episodes, including our conversations with the nation's leading healthcare experts on topics such as opioids in America, healthcare reform, corporate-funded research, and more, subscribe now. Yes! Drop the mic. Is there a subscribe button? Should I say click the subscribe button? Or should I just say subscribe now?